You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or a battery for your trail camera or a specialized battery for your range finder or a crazy toy that you bought for your kids, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. Stop into a local Interstate Battery retail store, talk with a specialist, get the battery that you need, and go on about your day. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable welcome to the land and legacy podcast we're your hosts adam keith and matt die this is your number one resource for all things land if you're interested in conservation habitat management hunting strategy and rural real estate this is the podcast for you here we are rounding out another podcast appreciate everyone listening We've got a cool topic today. I, I really, surprisingly, after as many as we've done, I don't know if we can say this much more. I don't really think we've ever talked too much about this topic. Well, it's a little bit of out of our element. And we had to bring in the big guns. And, you know, there's, you know, you say that, but there's so many other topics to, to discuss that we just haven't really, when, when you base your podcast about land, there's thousands it's of directions, endless. right? So we've got, and this may be, you know, for people listening, we can talk about trees and tree conservation, and we can talk about riparian areas and yep. authors, and we can do all kinds of stuff. But this one is where you don't just call up any old person like ourselves oh, and hey, say, let's I got, talk I got about a buddy, this. buddy, right? Yeah. It gets and, a little bit more in-depth. And it kind of, I guess, came about with a friend or a client yep. connection, mm-hmm. and uh, yep. they threw it out there that this would be a good one to have on. It was like, you know, we we need to take them up on that while while uh, the pot's still boiling. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because, I mean, you you think about it. Obviously, you have, you've, you've read the title. You've seen the title. It's, it's about weather, but it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're hunting, you're managing land, you're burning, you're planting – Regardless, you're taking the family to the farm. Yeah. Regardless, it all is revolving around weather. Is it good yeah. to do this, or should I adjust? Should I should I call an audible and change where I'm hunting, how I'm hunting, whatever? Weather's important for sure. So we're gonna cover we ourselves learn a lot in this podcast. Yeah. 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 Um. So that should tell you something. We cover a lot of topics that. Uh, are really kind of tie it back into hunters and how we should think about it. 
um, and then just understand weather in general and how weather forms, what fronts look like, how the wind reacts to and from fronts out in front of them and, and behind them. Um, high pressure, low pressure, mm-hmm. um, and a and lot of really cool stuff. And even going into recent stuff with Hurricane Laura and then Sahara dust storms, we cover all <laughs> yeah. that in this podcast. So, um, it's going to be fun. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Also, um, we want to take a second before we jump into it to thank one of our partners and help make this podcast possible. First light. Uh, we've been, obviously we've been wearing the gear. Uh, hunting season is in f- full swing for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting ready to be full swing for us. It's never too late to be updating your gear you know how much we love it by now, so maybe you can get some this fall or um, you got a birthday or Christmas. It'll be just right around the corner, so it'll be a good time to get your family or get yourself decked out in First Light. Check them out, firstlight.com. Matt? Also, don't what's your what's the one thing you're most excited about new gear that you're wearing from First Light this fall? Oh, well, okay. Newest gear that I'm really excited for is I, I just I can't wait to try out those zip-offs. Yep, long johns. I, that's that's gonna be good. I gotta wait a while for that though. But yeah, you got the furnace just like me. So, but design, everything, practicality. That's I'm like, all right. I just I know I know what the my my results gonna be. I'm gonna like it. Yeah. But it's kind of like I just want to try it because it's brand yeah. it's brand spanking new. So that was the the furnace. Yep. Boot top zip off. Long John. Yes. For you guys that want to go check it out. I think for me, the one that I'm most excited about will be the, um, I got the furnace just in camo up top. Yes, I did. And a vest. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited about that combination Mm -hmm. come late October. Uh, Yeah. Because that furnace is just, oh. Picture. Like, I I love it. The well, qu- that cricket is loud, zip. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I have a quarter zip. Um, I guess two of those. One camo, one just like a base layer, and then a Henley. That's yeah. like a green. But yeah. with with a a vest. What which vest did you go with? A uh, sawtooth. Yeah, that's what I did as well. And like yep. that that breaking up kind of solid color. That combo though, I think is going to be so good in in a lot of different situations, whether it's. 40 degrees up to 60, really, in, in all all of that, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be yeah. really good. So, guys, enjoy this week's podcast with Brian Jackson of the Weather Brian Jackson, Service. I was going to say National, weather, National weather Service, weather service yeah. weather.gov, and uh, I think you guys are going to like it. All right, everybody. We have got Mr. Brian Jackson on the line here to talk about weather and rain and precipitation. Brian, how are you doing today? Matt and Adam, good to talk with you. I'm doing well. Good. Sitting sitting here in uh, central Maryland, uh, enjoying a nice day. So what part of Maryland do you live in? Like what I county? Live in, I live in Anne Arundel County. Okay. So yeah. it's kind of a suburb of both Baltimore and D.C., but uh, D.C. has been growing so much in recent years that uh, particularly where I am in the central part of the county, little west of Annapolis, yep. um, we're essentially a, a D.C. suburb. Okay, gotcha. So it's all kind of bleeding and melting together, it sounds like. 
Yeah. Sounds like much of the the rest of the East Coast <laughs> from when I left it. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely a common theme there. So, Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your your professional experiences here? Um, because I think that you will have a ton of insight to give us when we start discussing weather, weather patterns, and um, in particular precipitation. Um, but you know, it's good to obviously give you yourself a chance to um, talk about your credibility and what you've done over the past couple of years and studied. Well, sure. Yeah. So I am a meteorologist. I study and, uh, you know, do operational weather forecasting as my job. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for the last three years, I've worked at uh, the Weather Prediction Center, which is an entity of the National Weather Service. So the uh, service that's across the country providing, you know, local forecasts. I'm at a national center, and we particularly specialize in precipitation forecasts across the country. Awesome. Well, that's that's very interesting. To so so basically, you guys are forming weather predictions that local stations use across the country. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. So there's local National Weather Service offices. Those are there's actually 122 local forecast offices. 116 in the uh, lower 48. So basically, you know, there's about two for every state. And so we provide guidance and overview for those local offices. And then we also provide, you know, public products as well. But yeah, our our main focus is precipitation. So it's uh, heavy rain and looking at flash flooding. And then uh, also uh, wintertime snow and ice forecasts. Very cool. I think we should just address the white elephant in the room. Everyone, and you get this all the time, but everyone's like, oh, meteorologist. So so he's the guy that gets paid to be wrong all the time, right? Because that, that's not even fair. We all say, and we've all been guilty of it, but it's not even fair because you guys are dealing with stuff that is just so ever-changing. It, it, you, can't pin, you can't pin it down, but I guess I want to address basically throughout the podcast is, how do you go, how do you attempt to even do that? Like, what are those things that you look for when you're making these predictions? You know, ahead of schedule to give us the people who are looking at weather, trying to make these whether it's hunting decisions, um, planting decisions. How, how do you even derive all of that information? What is it that you look for? Sure. Well, I mean, first of all, as far as you know, us being you know meteorologists being wrong all the time. You know, it's, it's the human condition to want to know, you know, yes. like a black and white, <laughs> yes. a, a yes or no, like like rain or no rain. Yeah. And, you know, the chaotic, you know, part of our atmosphere and how weather works, it really just doesn't lend itself to, uh, you know, what we call a deterministic forecast. You know, something that's that's defined, like it's, you mm-hmm. know, 100% or 0%. So what we deal with a lot are percentages. And so what we really strive for is to, you know, tell you in terms of, precipitation what you what the likelihood of that would be sure and then it, when it occurs you know the quantity of it how much it's going to be so yeah we uh we, we do all sorts of things to uh to create the weather forecast and um yeah i'd be happy to uh to go through that with you yeah absolutely i'd say let's 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 start cracking it down tearing it apart and i feel like we're probably going to have to obviously you're you're extremely knowledgeable on all of this you're you're kind of like you're the guy so break it down you know let's build off of everyone's elementary education of weather 
and go into deeper um, levels of understanding. So if you if we'll basically just kind of honestly turn it over to you and say, hey, how do you how'd you predict Laura? Right. Because that, I know you were working on that. We were kind of texting and, and, you know, meeting each other as the storm and all was approaching. But but that's a very familiar uh, rain event, hurricane um that that just hit a lot of the country and and impacted a lot of people's whether it's fall planting decisions what have you so where do you even begin there yeah so yeah talking about the tropical forecast the last couple of weeks yeah that's that's one of the main you know precipitation precipitation drivers for the southern for the eastern u.s you know this time of year getting into autumn so yeah the the you know, tropical season gets active. You have uh, waves that you know are coming off of uh, West Africa. You have other you know entities that that form you know toward the Caribbean, toward uh, you know you know kind of southern parts of the of the uh, Atlantic, and then also sometimes some of these clusters of thunderstorms if they move over the Gulf of Mexico, they can uh, uh, form tropical systems. So you know, we're, we're typically able to to see a few days out with those. Tropical systems, you can have, you know, a week or more. But um, what was interesting over the last two weeks was you had two systems coming together in the Gulf. So it's what eventually became Marco and Laura. And that's where, you know, the joke was you have two systems out in the Gulf of Mexico. You have Marco. The other one should have been Polo, and they were uh, <laughs> looking for each other. For sure. Um, so, but but that was a that was a big conundrum. So my office, you know, we focus on the precipitation part of things. There's, you know, our counterparts in Miami is the National Hurricane Center. They, you know, do the specific, um, you know, tropical, you know, what we call tropical cyclones. Those are tropical storms or hurricanes. Um, they do those predictions out uh, over the next week. And so they're the ones who specifically do that. But then we would do the precipitation side of it sure and then also uh we're, we're actually the backup for the national hurricane center my office is so um and they've actually deployed one of their people up uh to our office you know just in case in terms of you know with covid and with you know the potential for miami being struck they wanted to go ahead and and have that backup so mm-hmm. what was interesting was you had you had two systems coming into the gulf how would they interact they were basically going around the same system there was um, high pressure often forms uh, out toward Bermuda through the summer. We talk about Bermuda highs. Um, high pressure rotates clockwise in the northern hemisphere. So if you have a high pressure out toward Bermuda or somewhere south, you'll have a broad area of, of clockwise circulation across the southeast U.S., across you know, much of the eastern U.S. Well, what that does is it then draws you know, Gulf of Mexico moisture in that clockwise motion, it draws that from the south mm. up over the up over the country. And when you have a disturbance kind of in that flow, which is what we had, you know, over the last two weeks was was two of them. Um, yeah, dealing with going around the same system, that, that was a very difficult forecast. And what was really challenging was Marco developed first, but its conditions weren't right for development. Um hurricanes like to develop in areas with generally light winds you know they're not moved too fast they can really get their system spinning and going and and you know not be disturbed well marco was disturbed quite a bit and it really didn't didn't do all that much 
produced some heavy rain in the um, Florida panhandle. And, you know, it, it may have looked, oh, you know, we have two systems. There could be two hurricanes. Well, the first one dropped off. Well, you know, do we need to worry about the second one? And Laura, yeah, definitely was. It, it By the time it got into the Gulf, um, the conditions were better. It was able to, um, you know, develop quickly. And, um, you know, the, the track of it ended up being, a, you know, a, a pretty good forecast, or actually an excellent forecast, uh, three days out. So once it was over Cuba, it tracked across the Gulf, and there was good confidence that it was going to be making landfall in uh, western Louisiana, you know, near the Texas border and that it would arc in the U.S. and come across. So from a rain perspective, be a big rain maker. And then obviously it, it ended up developing and you know, becoming a Category 4 hurricane, a high-end Category 4, and having such a strong wind impacts you know, all the way up Louisiana, um, you know, knocking out radars as it went and uh, you know, taking out you know, all the other uh, infrastructure and everything. Mm. Yeah, we we've got a good buddy. Um, he's actually been on the podcast before, Kyle Bennett, who lives down in Lake Charles. Luckily, his home oh, my was spared. But I mean, he was he was uh, bullseye on it kind of thing when when Laura was hitting. That's a, that's amazing. Yeah, they, there there's a weather service office in Lake Charles, and one of my coworkers had worked there, so you know we were you know real familiar with with that, and you know learning more about Southwest Louisiana, you know, in the days you know leading up to it. And just as an aside, there was a, you know, there was a forecast for a big storm surge, you know, to, to push 30, 40 miles inland, um, you know, going up what's, you know, there's a, the Calcasho waterway uh, going up to Lake Charles. Mm-hmm. Well, in reality, that was a pretty narrow waterway for, for water to get up that way. So the, uh, the way the track went, it went right up it. Um, so since, you know, high pressure rotates clockwise, but low pressure rotates counterclockwise. So a hurricane being low pressure, that tight counterclockwise circulation just to the right of where it makes landfall is where the strongest onshore winds are. So if Laura had been just, you know, 20, 30 miles farther west, you would have had a lot more push of water up that waterway. And yeah, Lake Charles would have flooded like it has uh, a few times in the past, um, you know, with most of the city is five to ten feet above sea level so right um yeah that's that's wild like just those those small little facts about you know the difference in the pressures and whether rotating 23 miles one way or another completely changes everything that you could then see on the ground the impact that it made um that, that's that's pretty fascinating to me i'd i'd love uh, to know i am sitting here uh, i'm guilty because i had no idea that High pressure move. I, I didn't either. Clockwise, low pressure move, counterclockwise. <laughs> How does that affect? Uh, let's do kind of weather 101. And mm-hmm. when you look at a, a storm front or a front moving across the Midwest into the mid Atlantic or East Coast, what's in front of that? What kind of pressure do we have typically in front of that weather pattern? Yeah. So when you talk about there's you know, lows, and you'll have fronts attached to lows. So if you think of a low crossing, you know, the central U.S., you know, let's say pushing east from Colorado across the plains, you know, lifting up over the Midwest, that system itself is rotating counterclockwise. So if you think about, you know, counterclockwise flow around it, behind the storm, that's where you'd have the north wind, which would be cold, coming in. And then out ahead of it, you'd have a south wind, 
and you know taking that south wind that curves to the west the north wind that curves to the east you get that counterclockwise motion so a that front makes a ton itself, of sense yeah i mean we're, we're both sitting here like yes that's the kind of information we're we're wanting to to gather and get out of you because it's like that just what you explained right there has so much um, implication to hunters and making those decisions of looking at forecasts and what may be happening. Uh, so that that's awesome because we all watch the wind mm-hmm. on at an hourly format, and it seems like southeast winds. It's like ah, oh, it's always southeast, and then it's like when the front hits, we're like, okay, we're getting some west winds, we're getting some northwest winds, maybe some north winds, and now it starts to make sense of why that occurs, why we see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so if you know a cold front is coming, yes, you would generally have a south wind out ahead of it, and this time of year that's very humid, and if you're outdoors, you're definitely going to notice those conditions. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yep. But it's the it's the cold air behind, cold air being more dense, that as the cold air comes through, it's it's more dense. So cold air wins when it mm-hmm. comes to uh, fronts, particularly in the winter time. You, know, you have a stationary front. They often don't stay stationary too long because the colder air is more dense, so it will push into the warmer air. Well, when warmer air is lifted, that's where you have warm, moist air being lifted. As it rises, it cools. Eventually, it'll start to form a cloud. And then, um, so as as something, <laughs> hold on just a second. So yeah, as as air rises it cools and if it's warmer than the air that it's around it will continue to rise that's instability or or Mm -hmm. buoyancy so just like trying to hold you know a a beach ball underwater and then once a cloud is formed there's heat release we call it latent heat release but it's actually a a a formation a, a factor that helps it rise even faster so you have air that's rising you have clouds that forming and you have this latent heat release that allows you know the air to be warmer than its surroundings, so it rises even faster, forming clouds. And so out of ahead of cold fronts, ahead of that cold air, the warm air being lifted, that's where you get your um, thunderstorms and and a lot of precipitation. Hmm. Very interesting. It's what what always is, amazes me, and I know I'm, I'm looking at things that like are are like more hourly daily kind of things but when you're looking at a radar of an impact like an incoming storm um or or let's just say it's seven o'clock in the morning you look on your your forecast uh for the day and it says afternoon showers likely 80 percent chance i always go to the radar and say okay where are those storms at now and sometimes there's absolutely nothing on on the radar maps in western Oklahoma, Texas, Panhandle, um, southern Colorado coming our way, it just amazes me how, like, sometimes you just see them and they just pop up, like, on your spot, like, or exactly where you're at or just in front of you. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, so you you touched on several things there. Um, So I think what I'd like to start off with is that percentage of precipitation. What we call it is a probability of precipitation we the lingo is we just call it a pop pop probability precipitation so what you'll see as a forecast is the probability of you receiving 
a measurable amount of rain. Mm -hmm. So when you say 80%, what the forecast is saying is that you have an 80% chance throughout the time window that you're looking at. Often that's, you know, a six hour or, you know, like an overnight forecast, that type of thing, six to 12 hours. You have an 80% chance of getting a measurable amount. And that's the minimum measurable, measurable amount. In the U.S., for us, the mineral measurement is one hundredth of an inch, which is a quarter of a millimeter, you know, a minuscule amount of rain. But you can generally think of it as enough rain to wet pavement. Mm -hmm. So you're familiar with when raindrops come and sometimes you only get a few drops and you just you know, see on pavement there's a few drops. Um, a hundredth of an inch is enough that everywhere is just coated enough that it's it's, you know, slightly wet. Sure. Um, so that's but the probability is, is just getting that minuscule amount. Now, when you start getting higher percentages, it's not rather if it'll happen, it's how much will happen. So that gets into the quantity of precipitation. Our quantitative precipitation forecast, what we call our QPF, is, is what my office um, specializes in. So that's where you know, we're looking at the, the type of weather it is, whether it's going to be showers, thunderstorms or you know, large, broad swaths of, of rain uh, or snow, and you know, getting into probabilities, but then you're going beyond that with, with the quantity. And the quantity is often uh, in what we call an aerial average. So if, if you have you know, showers across the area, uh, showers and thunderstorms, there's going to be areas that get a lot more and areas that get a lot less or maybe zero. And so you know, we can't say exactly, you know, this this neighborhood, you know, on these, you know, this part of a county, you're going to get exactly this much. The other part of the county is going to get that much. Like there's, there's too much chaos to be able to say that. Right. So in general, you know, let's just say there's going to be a quarter of an inch of precipitation, but you know, some places will get an inch, some places will get, you know, maybe just a hundredth. Um, so yeah, so that, that's what we're, we're focusing on is to be able to do that, but then identifying the type of weather that's going on to say whether, your average will be, you know, heavy uh, over an inch and there's a risk of flash flooding or it's just going to be light and, you know, it's just going to be a beneficial rain. And, you know, and then <laughs> there's many other factors, you know, including timing, how long it's going to last and, sure. and all that sort of stuff. So I guess, you know, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, but I guess going to like those storms, like from a formation standpoint, like how do sometimes they just pop up and appear and just start dumping rain like those thunderstorms scenario throughout earlier. How do, how do, how do you make that prediction when it's not on a radar yet? Sure. In order to get rainfall and let's just call it, let's just say thunderstorms, you need three main things to happen. You need lift, you need instability, which is, you know, the, the air being warmer than its surroundings and you need moisture in order for it to rain, you need moisture. So the type of lift is, you know, what, what might, what is what you're referring to. There's four main kinds. It's from a front, from a cold front, the cold air, you know, lifting warm mm -hmm. air over it. Um, topography, so being just raised up over as it goes over ridges and mountains. Yeah. Um, convergence, so if you have, you know, oftentimes if you get storms to develop, they produce uh, cooling winds, you know, with them. And when those collide those uh, form and, and converge and, and cause lift. And then the other one is convection. So 
as you know, particularly in the summer, the during the day, the ground heats up, you start getting the convective currents that form. And, you know, most days in the summer, you'll get, you know, clouds that form in the afternoon because that's after peak heating, you've got that development. Gotcha. So one of the things in terms of storms popping up, those are what we call convective storms. They're developing off these, um, you know, currents of air that, that go up, uh, you know, typically four to 6,000 feet. And, you know, it's the key factor for aviation, you know, uh, pilots really know about this. And when you take off in a plane, you'll often feel in the afternoon a little bump somewhere around 5,000 feet. And we, we call that the boundary layer. That's basically how high the, the currents go just by themselves. Um, you know, the up and down currents, just like boiling water in a pot, sure. um, you know, they'll, they'll come up and bubble up. Mm. So those, th- those thunderstorms that are popping up, you know, oftentimes it has to wait until it gets warm enough for it to reach high enough for then suddenly it's now warmer than its surroundings and it'll just freely rise and form clouds and it can happen, you know, pretty quickly. And in just a few minutes, you can go from not really much of a cloud to, you know, a towering thunder uh, cloud. I think of those so, crazy, like out West traveling and I'm not, like out in West Kansas or Eastern yeah. Colorado drive. And it's like, Oh, it's a beautiful day. And all of a sudden, boom, it's pouring down rain on you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I have a question for you going back to uh, hurricane Laura, um, for the last, I don't know, month, month and a half here in the Midwest, Southern Missouri, extremely dry. Um, almost maybe a quarter of an inch over that time frame. Just, just very little rain. And then hurricane Laura came through uh, we got some rain from that, and it has been some sort of rain or heavy rain almost every single day since that hurricane passed. What does hurricanes do as far as changing or just changing weather patterns in general, or what what kind of ex- explanation is there for, for the drastic shift in, in our weather? Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, hurricanes don't do much in terms of shifting a weather pattern. Okay. They are a pretty. They are a pretty small feature, um, in in the otherwise you know big atmospheric circulation pattern. Hmm. What we've what we've had this summer, um, you know, you've heard about all the heat that's been out west. Yeah. And and you know spreading across the Rockies into the plains. What we've had is a ridge of high pressure. So when we talk about that clockwise flow. That's for ground level, surface level high pressure. There's also ridges and troughs in the upper parts of the atmosphere. So when you get uh, an upper ridge, that's basically a heat dome. It's just high, um, you know, warm air, and it's typically associated with, you know, like more like tropical air. And then at any point you'll have, generally to the north, there's an air mass of colder air, and to the south, an air mass of warmer air. The jet stream is what's in between those. That's the dividing line, and you'll have a front you know, between those two air masses. So what we've had over the last, going on over two months, is a nearly persistent upper ridge across, you know, centered over the, like over the four corners um, and, and even a little farther west. And so that's what's caused all those super high temperatures. Well, you have that ridge, so you, that goes up into Canada, and then you have a trough that, that comes around that, like over the Great Lakes and over the east, 
So out east here in Maryland, we've we've had very much above normal uh, precipitation because we've generally been been having troughs and and uh, cooler air um, aloft that allows um, you know disturbances to come through and cause you know precipitation. So it's been high pressure over the central and western U.S. that's just made them so dry. Um, and unfortunately, it's yeah, it's been a little farther west than it normally sets up. So there's really been not much of a monsoon for for the far southwest U.S. And um, so what you had was that big ridge of high pressure over the western U.S. and then the ridge, another ridge off the southeast U.S. and just the combination of them made for very dry conditions yeah across the uh across the south and and then pretty much the entire west so what you had was laura came around the the high pressure off the southeast and that came up well also with that the high pressure ridge over the west broke down um there has been a little bit of monsoon there has been Mm -hmm. um a little bit of a break and so what's there's now um, you know, some troughs, some disturbances crossing the northern U.S. that have um, allowed uh, more activity. And it's, you know, there, over the past four days, there's been a trough that's actually pushed down south across the, the western U.S. And it's set up a pattern where you have tropical Pacific moisture combined with Gulf moisture, and that pushes up over the plains and then uh, northeast from there to the Midwest. And it's just been setting up days and days of rainfall. So there's been incredible rainfall just south of you um, in, from Missouri. Over Arkansas, eastern Oklahoma, they've gotten um, five to 15 inches just over, the past four, just over the past three, four days. And it's just this pattern that has set up. And you know, the last couple of days, it's pushed a little farther south last night. Uh, when I was working, it was uh, um, you know, moving across Texas. Unfortunately, missed missed the Dallas area, but it's just been a lot of extremely high moisture, and um, you know all these ingredients coming together to to form real heavy rain over uh, over yeah, particularly the southern plains, and then along a the front, the dividing line between the cooler and and uh, warmer air that extended up across the mid south. Uh, toward the uh, Ohio Valley. That's fascinating. I mean, there, there, there's so many different factors, obviously, that just move and change uh, daily, hourly, that you guys are looking to be able to uh, make all these predictions and, and whatnot. But I guess one thing that I often hear or know that to some degree it plays a role, but what that role is, I don't really know. Um, and and it, they're constant or they're consistent is our topography and, and our maybe the uh, water feature, a river or a big lake or, or um, body of water on the ground, like what do those features play into weather? Because I've always heard like, oh, well, I don't get that storm because it hits the river and, and goes south or that mountain up there, it just divides and splits the storm and it goes either north or south. I mean, I never get rain here. Like what, what, is there any validity to that? So like, if you can't break that down. <laughs> yeah, there's a few things to that. Um, so yes, any topographical feature, um, 
I think it's generally if you if it's above a few hundred feet, you will see you know effects from that. So mm-hmm. on clear days, you'll get circulations, uh, terrain circulations off that. Uh, the 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 higher you know the top part of the you know the ridge or hill um, heats up, and the air that's around it is it's now already warmer than it is. So oftentimes you get um, you know the convection currents are are a bit different with that. So you'll have some some terrain flow, and that can you know, help or hurt, um, general rain showers. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, you know, if, if there's like a bigger, um, you know, system that's coming through like a cold front, um, there'll be some effects, you know, th- there'll be like a windward side, yeah. whichever side it's coming from, you'll get enhanced precipitation. The other side will get diminished and, yeah, and general flow patterns across the U S a westerly flow. That's why, you know, there's a desert, um, you know, over the Intermountain West because of all the mountains that block Pacific moisture coming on. And um, and they're basically surrounded by mountains. And then, yeah, in the Lee of the Rockies, there's another, you know, almost a desert because yeah. the westerly, westerly flow is block, blocked by the Rockies. You get a little farther east and you've got Gulf moisture that's there. But yeah, it, but getting down to little scale things, yeah, lakes and rivers, yeah, there are effects. And it gets into temperature differences. Um you know, particularly in the springtime, larger bodies of water are often colder than its surroundings, particularly as it warms up. So you get some, um, you can get a lake breeze, river breeze, that type of thing that can help things. Um, but yeah, in terms of whether, you know, oh, well, this happens, you know, this, this mountain causes this to happen. It, you know, there may be some effects like that, but yeah, in terms of like, oh, you know, well, I, I don't get it because of this mountain. Well, you know, if you think on average, yes, like, you you do get precipitation you know unless you actually are in a desert you know <laughs> right it, right it, it basically the, the law of averages works out that, that you do get it sure but there's actually a phenomenon and it's it gets into the kind of psychology but you know meteorologists deal with this all the time is that they feel like they're in a weather hole like like weather always misses them it tracks to the north or south or you know it, it splits around them all that sort of thing and it gets into yeah the psychology of of experiencing things, and probably the biggest takeaway is to to remember that there is much larger than here. You're in one mm. specific point, and all around you is a big area. So particularly if you watch radar, you know as as things are coming by, you know they'll you know they don't move in you know nice linear patterns. You know it's it's very chaotic. There's all sorts of things going on, causing the uh, um, storm to either you know live longer or, or die off but over time average yeah the you get you know generally a a pretty similar uh, rain pattern across you know say portions of a state that sort of thing sure that that makes a ton of sense and i feel like everybody who's either planted a food plot is definitely like i, I feel like can fit into that psychological um, torment, torment. Yeah, they're like, oh, it always misses me. It's, you know, it's always going this way. It's always that way because they're just so focused and isolated on one specific area. You know, five hundred acres or a hundred acres. Like, yeah, guys, it, it that's a very small percentage of of a landscape when you know you're dealing with counties, states, regions, countries. Your five hundred acres, your hundred acres is a blip on the map when it comes compared to all these weather patterns and fronts and everything. Exactly. Yeah. I, 
Um, and it's kind of the, the idea of if, if you're hoping for something in particular, it's kind of like, you know, watching a, a kettle boil, you know, a, a watch pot, you know, doesn't boil. Like it, you're, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, it's some of that psychological thing. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, it's a, so there are some, some effects, but, but in general, um, you know, and, and, and when it comes to like tornadoes and some of those things, like, you know, they often are on storms that move from Southwest to Northeast, but, but not always. Mm-hmm. And the biggest, uh, you know, factor that, that is different for that is for tropical systems, you have a rotating storm. Um, you typically get, uh, tornadoes on the right side of the track. So as it comes on land, right. the right side, it's going counterclockwise. Oftentimes that's the, the, you know, what will become the warmer side, you get uh, tornadoes on that side, but yeah, they can come from, from many different angles there. Fascinating. Uh, that's crazy. I, I got another, one more question. I'm thinking about current weather patterns or things that have occurred that are a little bit out of the normal. Um, earlier in the summer, we had uh, these sand storms, oh, sand yeah. clouds the Sahara dust. from the Sahara <laughs> dust come across and it resulted in rain um, for us. Is that? Can you talk a little bit about that and why that occurred? We had what I, I what what appeared to be quite a uh, um, yeah what's a Saharan dust like event. So what you had was was pretty much high pressure, and that clockwise flow. There were some real strong winds across uh, the Sahara, and uh, so across North Africa, and. The conditions were right that that the dust and sand from that you know got lofted up and that feature followed the trade wind so it's down in the tropics there's an east wind mm-hmm. so it comes off africa and that's you know the way hurricanes come but you had this huge you know kind of a blob of dust and oftentimes it's really high up in the atmosphere but as it moved across the caribbean um there were ports in puerto rico of you know in terms of sensors they have there you know, it was the it was the highest dust concentration they had in, you know, in, in 60 years or more. Wow. And then that, you know, it dissipated a bit, you know, things mix and, you know, disperse a bit. But, but yeah, th- there were air quality issues all, all across the uh, southeast U.S. And that was because of the particulates from this dust. Um, now, whether the now whether it uh, caused the caused rain or there just happened to be a system that that was there. Um, one thing about it is, uh, dust and that sort of thing are what we call aerosols and that's what raindrops form on. Um, rain won't like in, in perfectly clear, clean air, um, rain won't form until, you know, we talk about the relative humidity when it can't hold anymore. And, and, you know, after rains for a while, the relative humidity, it's a hundred percent, um, that's where you know, based on the temperature that we had, it, it can't hold any more moisture and it'll just condense like in a cloud. That's a hundred percent relative humidity in clean air. You won't actually get cloud drops to form until you're at 400% relative humidity, like just what we call super saturated, but that doesn't happen in the air because there's aerosols. So it, it can cling onto something. And then once there's a tiny droplet, you know, it, it just grows. So with all that extra dust, there would have been potential for more cloud forming or, or at least droplet forming aerosols, you know, particulates, those really tiny particulates. And so that, that could have enhanced rainfall. 
Um, but it itself was, you know, part of an air mass that, that came through and it, it itself wouldn't have been, uh, the rainmaker. Yes. It would have been uh, low pressure from something well, else. As you can imagine here in the Ozarks, there was lots of hearsay on what that was, <laughs> what was going on in the world when dust from the Sahara was coming overhead oh. and, uh, and then it started to rain. But some of those people that were saying that were kind of correct they were like well it takes us dust particles to form rain and and then uh so that's where all our rain came from but it was like i'm not so sure it's that <laughs> i don't know that if the linkage is, yeah. Yeah, is, that, is that direct <laughs> but whatever <laughs> i i gotta and go, go ahead, and, go ahead. just also that that gets into you know media these days that mm. uh, apparently in order to get people's attention anything that is potentially bad has to be hyped beyond all uh, you know common uh, beyond all common sense i have in order for i have no idea what you're take, talking about <laughs> in order for people to take uh take attention so right. oh uh, wow that's funny but yeah so in that case it, it but it, it really was a significant air quality issue and it was really quite amazing i, I found a there's a nasa uh, forecast model that has um you know dust plume forecasts and even a, a whole week out it really had a, a pretty good forecast for what was coming into the U.S. And, you know, there was one day you had this plume coming up the western side of the Gulf of Mexico, and I looked at air quality sensors across the southeast, and it was pretty much identical to the way the, you know, the, the dust plume was at that time. Mm. Where it was, you were getting into code red air quality. Fascinating. It's crazy. Um, well, you were talking about what had happened, Adam. I got one question about um, what is forecasted for us next week, about you know seven days out here in the, the center portion of the U.S. We've got really well below average temperatures. I mean, highs 61, 62 for about two days, lows in the 40s. We don't typically see that September uh, 8th, 9th, 10th kind of thing. But you guys, or... or meteorologist um, had predicted that. And, and again, that's out at least a week. But I had seen something, again, on the old social media um, that had forecast this, that there was a chance of this happening about a week and a half ago. How do you, how does that come together? And now I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, that come. They were right. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. So, so typically for, uh, for an accurate forecast, you know, depending on specificity, if you're having an outdoor wedding, you know, <laughs> don't don't believe the forecast until, you know, you're, you're probably you're within three days or probably even, you know, the day Say, before. Saying I do. And and then if there's, you know, rain in the forecast, you don't even know right up until, uh, you know, the ceremony starts. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, in general, you can get a pretty accurate forecast about three to five days out. But there's some of some of these occasions where you have a big pressure change the the overall pattern the large large one the, those big upper high pressures upper low pressures that you you can get confidence out beyond a week and um so us with the national weather service we we still forecast a specific forecast only out seven days um but we have um in, in my building in college park maryland there's the climate prediction center and they do you know, like the week two forecast, which is just very general. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in terms of above, below, average, they'll do a week two, th weeks three and four, you know, one month, three months seasonal forecasts. And, and they're the ones who do like the, you know, 
hurricane forecast and, and a winter forecast, that sort of thing. Sure. But, but yeah, in this case, you know, so we talked about that big high pressure ridge over the southwest U.S. In this case, uh, the ridge will be a little farther west or a lot farther west, like off the west coast. And then you have a ridge, a trough, and then another ridge. The other ridge would be closer to the east coast. And in between is a big trough. So you just have cold continental air spilling down from Canada. And yeah, that, that type of pressure pattern can be, can be seen several days out. So yeah, it's, it's quite a, uh, um, cold front. Um, I was looking, I was just doing the, the next day forecast, uh, the last few nights, but we were commenting, um, when I was working last night that tonight, yeah, there's going to be really strong winds, you know, across the Dakotas, um, throughout the lower part of the atmosphere, just a real good indication of particularly cold air blowing and, 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 you know, blowing some strong winds and there's nothing really in the way once it gets into the Northern Plains and it's going to, yeah, just push all the way South and, uh, and settle across the central and Eastern U S and yeah, be an early taste of fall. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, I, I, I'm just, I'm kind of sitting back like, I got so many more questions for you, Brian. You don't, you don't even know yet. Um, yeah, I, 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 and, I, and yeah, I'd be, I'd be definitely happy to, to answer more questions and, and have further conversations. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I definitely appreciate this. And you know, when it comes to outdoorsmen, um, you know, weather is so important. So, um, you know, the big message we have with the National Weather Service is to be weather aware, mm-hmm. uh, to be to be cognizant of, of what your forecast is, to understand it, and uh, particularly when there's when there's weather hazards in the forecast. Absolutely. Well, we know you've got limited time. You're obviously extremely busy um, with what you do. We appreciate it because it makes our life much easier and gives us plans when we work outside. Um, Adam and I are obviously always checking and 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 making those uh, last minute decisions on what you guys say. So we appreciate it. And and don't worry, we'll have to have you back on um, later later. Hopefully this fall. Maybe we're getting into. Um, late season hunting when we're really looking for uh, temperature swings, temperature dips, and precipitation in the form of snow to get that wintry weather to get deer up and moving um, to create some awesome hunting opportunities. Uh, excellent. Yeah, looking forward to autumn and, and yeah, a little break from this heat. Um, so one, one thing in terms of a forecast, yeah, there's a lot of options out there. And as federal government, we don't have an app. Mm-hmm. Um because you know there's there's a private enterprise that we don't uh, interfere with, but we do have a website, so you can go onto the uh, even you know on your mobile phone you can do a browser. Um, but yeah, it's weather.gov, w-e-a-t-h-e-r.gov, and uh, there there is a whole host of information. I'd say check it out. Um, you can type in your zip code, get some uh, get some forecasts there, and and give it, give that a try. See if um, you like some of the information there. But it, it'll also have all the weather uh, um, hazard uh, information. We, with the National Weather Service, are specifically we're the ones who issue the official severe thunderstorm, tornado warning, flash flood warnings, winter storm warnings, yeah. all that sort of stuff. I think so. of those little radios. The mm-hmm. National Weather Service has issued issued. A, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, no weather radio actually is a, a really neat uh, feature. You know, it's it's definitely a legacy uh, thing. But yeah, there's over a thousand. Uh, stations across the country so no matter where you are uh, one of the six uh, 
um, weather channels, you'd be able to pick it up. It's, I believe it's in the 162, 163 megahertz range. Um, but yeah, any uh, shortwave radio, CB, they'll often you know be able to tune right into those. That's cool. That's cool, man. Well, we certainly appreciate your time and uh, for coming on here, sharing your knowledge with us. We'll be sure to have you back on, um, but, but certainly appreciate Brian. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it and hope to talk to you guys again. Absolutely. Okay. Man, there it is. Well, I, I think we said at the beginning, told you we're going to learn something. I, I, there's so many different avenues that you could go. This this conversation could have just turned and went, and, and we would have gotten down uh, probably to some more dirty details that everyone's looking forward to. But those will come in another podcast. But obviously, Brian, is he knows his stuff. He's a wealth of, uh, of knowledge when it comes to all things weather. For sure. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun chatting with him. Um, before we kick it off, though, just another reminder to go check out Vortex Optics. Dot com um, upgrade your gear. Yeah, uh, I hate to say it. Hopefully they have it in stock. Yes. Yeah. They, it has been, been a crazy, crazy. If you guys, I, I think, if you want to know if a product's good or not, um, or quality, or is in high demand, how often is it out of stock? It seems like lately all this stuff has been out of stock. Who knows why? Uh, probably various reasons. Various reasons, but uh, we've. I've been using Shoot Vortex for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, love the stuff. Love the VIP warranty. Not only is it quality optics, but it's an amazing warranty. So um, if you guys are looking to update your rangefinder scopes, spotting scopes. Binos. Binos. Check, check out. them out. Also, we've got the, the giveaway going on for YouTube. So everyone be That's sure. Right. If you haven't already subscribed to the YouTube channel, if you're listening to the podcast, you like video content, you like to learn visually, you got to go subscribe before the 14th of September. Or if you have already subscribed, be sure to go and comment or like one of the posts, the video posts, um, before September 14th. We are doing some pretty big giveaways. Um, one of the biggest things we're giving away is a virtual property evaluation. That's right. So one of us will sit down work with you over a uh, video conference situation and review your farm, give you some pointers, give you some direction, answer the questions you need among Vortex prize package, land and legacy swag. You're going to want to get yourself in that giveaway. So be sure to check out the YouTube channel, subscribe, comment, like, do all that jazz. Yeah.